going to do it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. We are going to take the power of God and change the world. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. How many believe God's going to use you today? Amen. You know, I look around at the world and I see that it's hurting. And I see that God has called us for such a time as this. You know, we were out preaching yesterday on the west side. Come on, somebody say, preach the gospel. Amen. We don't just talk about it here, brother. We go out and do it in Jesus' name. I met this brother. Would you wave your hand? I forgot your name. What is it? Let's give it up for Brother Tommy Henson. This brother was uh, run, are you running for Congress, right? He's running for Congress. And you know where he met us? Preaching the gospel downtown. That's where you'll see us. That's where you'll find Metro Praises pastors at, preaching on downtown. We don't just send out the lame ones. You know, like a lot of times you go to these mega messes, I mean these mega churches, and they're just so proper and, you know, just so amazing up here on the pulpit, fishing in a bathtub. They look like they're the best fishermen around, don't they? I'm not trying to boast about anything, in, about anything other than Christ, but listen to me. Our pastors, including me, we preach the gospel on the streets. So yesterday we were out there on the west side. Somebody say, west side. We were on the west side preaching the gospel. I got to see people come to know Jesus. I got to see salvations, deliverances. The, pe- the hungry were fed in Jesus' name. Come on, Brother Will. Was it good feeding the hungry yesterday? Even though sometimes they complain, oh, I would like my hamburger a little bit like this, a little bit like this. Come on, just take this hamburger. But that's okay. That's okay. But I'll tell you what, I love preaching the gospel. And I, I want to tell you, God is still moving. What we're about ready to read here in the Bible is still happening. Still happening. We're seeing healings. We're seeing deliverances. We're seeing salvations. Oh, man, I feel so good to be with you this morning. Why? So that we can get trained to go back out and do it again. Please do not be discouraged in these end times to think that the church is going out in defeat. We are not going out in defeat. As a matter of fact, we're going out in so much victory that we're going to be so close to heaven that Jesus is going to say, well, then just stay up here then. And he's going to rapture us up. That's how we're coming out of this world. And then and only then can that lying, deceiving devil have his way over this planet. That's the only time he can do it is when the church is gone. Because as long as the church is here, we are defeating him. We are stomping on him and taking back everything he stole in Jesus name. Amen. So I was out there preaching by God's grace, and I was seeing the harvest as white as the Bible says. Remember last week, if you were here, we were talking about how Jesus was winning the Samaritans to the kingdom, and he said, open up your eyes and look that the harvest is ripe even unto the, to the, to the reapers right now. Go out and get it. Others have put in the work. Now you can reap. How many know that these prophets had to put in the work so we could have the scriptures and reap it? How many know those that came in early Christian history had to put in the work so that we can reap it in Jesus' name? And how many know you're sowing for a generation to come after you so that they can reap it? Oh, I said, do you believe that? Do you believe that you're sowing now so that a generation can come and reap? Don't get so uh, rapture-minded that you're not ready to stay down here and do some work. Because if the rapture doesn't happen in my children's lifetime, there better be a generational blessing that Metro Praise International left for them in Jesus' name. Amen? That we left the gospel, we left the power, we left the testimonies, and we said take the baton and run. Woo, come on, somebody. 
Y'all amening me like it's first service. I need some amens like it's second service. I need some amen in like this ain't a Presbyterian church, that this is a Pentecostal church. Did I come too hyped up for you today? I'm excited, you know, because I was out there preaching and I was just seeing the reality of the gospel. We're going to read today in the gospel. You're going to take notes. I love seeing notebooks out. I study the word like you. I'm a student of the word. But we also have to be practitioners of the word. We don't just talk about Jesus like, oh, you know, Jesus way back then did all of these wonderful things. Let's just come back here and remember them like this is a museum. This is not a museum. We're not pointing to the ancient artifacts, okay? When Easter comes up next week, we're not pointing to the ancient artifacts. We are pointing you to a risen Lord and Savior who's seated at the right hand of the Father who is still pouring out the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders. Hallelujah! That's what we're doing in Jesus' name. And so when we go out to the streets to meet the people and to meet the needs, we're going out like this story. You're now Jesus in the Bible. So when we uh, read this, I want to give you preparation for this. You are not just the sick one. You are not just the one looking for a miracle. So that application will be there. If you need a miracle, we're going to call on Jesus. We're going to pray for you. We do that in every service, every life group, everywhere we go in Jesus' name. But I don't just want you to see yourself as the one needing the miracle. I want you, as we read the gospel, for you to see yourself as Jesus the one bringing the miracle. Are you all hearing that today? Jesus said that he was here to make disciples to build the kingdom, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So it's not sacrilegious. It's not blasphemy for me to say I am like Jesus in this world. I'm actually taking him at his word. He said you would do these things and even greater than this. Lauren, get that scripture for me, please, as we turn to 1 John. Because as Jesus is, so am I in this world. We must live like Jesus. We must be like Jesus. Can I hear somebody say amen? amen? Go to 1 John. I want to show you these scriptures right here. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. And then I'm going to show you in the passage of John. Wait for it or just text it to me, Lauren, where I'm going to show you there and then we'll get into this passage. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. So how are we to live? Like Jesus. I said, how are we to live? We are to live like Jesus. Now go to 1 John chapter 4 if you didn't get it. Let's go to verse 16, one of the most famous passages of 1 John, where we hear that God is love. And so we know and rely on the the love that God has for us. Somebody say, God is love. God is love. There it is. Thank you. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. How many want to be confident on the day of judgment? I don't want to be scared on the day of judgment. I fear my Lord, but I don't want to be scared. Just like how he gives the parables of him coming back as the owner to judge the managers. I don't want to be scared. When the boss comes back, I want to say, yes, Lord, here I am to present what I have multiplied. So he said, in this way, you're going to be like Jesus. You're not going to be scared. You're going to have confidence. In this world, we are like who? In this world, we are like Buddha. In this world, we're like Oprah. In this world, we're like the mega mess pastor, the next one getting exposed. Is that what it says? In this world, we are like who? Jesus. Jesus. So who are you to be like in this world? 
Jesus. That's it. Well, nobody's perfect. Like Jesus said that I could be like him, so I'm going to listen to him and not you. Because of Jesus' perfection, he can make me perfect like him. When I am not, I can get forgiveness. Now go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. But I am not supposed to use my sinning and receiving forgiveness as a broken record, as being trapped in a rat race or a gerbil test. I am not the gerbil on the wheel. I'm not the rat in the experiment. I am not a broken record. When sin comes into my life, I am to repent of it and get back on track, living in the perfect will of God. Can I hear an amen? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and onward says, Dear children, I write these to you that you will not what? Sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So what is the purpose of the commands? So we don't sin. Not that you can sin, be forgiven, sin again and be forgiven like you're on some gerbil wheel. That's not the purpose. The purpose of the commands is that you'll live like Jesus, be like Jesus. Now go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Thank you, Lauren. We'll get to the John passage in just a moment. I just want to prep you for this message. How many want to be like Jesus in this world? How many want to do what Jesus did? Amen. Now look at John, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and onward. So if you sin, you get out of the perfect will of God. What are you supposed to do? Repent. Renew your mind. Go back to the new. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. So the flesh, that which goes against God, is always supposed to be on the altar, being burned up, being a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay? Now, that offering is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So you not living in sin, but obedience to God is actually better worship than you just singing a song. You can sing a song and your heart not be right. But if you put your flesh on the altar and obey him, your heart will always be right whether you sing in tune or not. The worship that God wants is a holy sacrifice of our body, dedicating our lives to him. Now look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized, metamorpho in the Greek, like a butterfly going from a, a, a caterpillar to a butterfly, by the renewing of your what? By the renewing of your what? Of your mind. So your mind is always supposed to be new to what? The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was given to you at the birth in Christianity. Find that scripture for me, please, Lauren, where it says, in the present, we have the mind of Christ. Now look at what it says here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, now everybody get the purpose of this. What is the purpose of me repenting and being renewed? So that I can stay in a broken state? So that I can abuse God's grace? So that I can be the gerbil on the wheel? Say, oh God, I want to live for you. Oh, but I'm tempted to sin. Now that I've sinned, I feel so guilty. Oh, forgive me. But I want to live for you, God. Now I'm tempted to sin. Oh, I'm going to give in to it. I feel bad again. Forgive me, Lord. Is that the broken merry-go-round of Christianity? No, the, the, the way of Christianity is from glory to glory to glory. Amen. Are you listening to me? You might say, I'm not sinless, but I sin less every day in Jesus' name. It says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. With his good, pleasing, and say this last part, his perfect will. Somebody say, perfect will. And his perfect will is, say perfect will. What will does God want you and I to live in? What will? Come on, y'all quiet in this church. What will does God want you and I to live in? His what? Perfect will. Help me to do it every single day, Jesus. By your grace. 
You might say, Pastor, what happens if I sin? I ask for forgiveness, and I get back in that perfect will. If I said to you back in the olden days, rewind this tape for me. I want to watch this movie. Did you watch, you know, Forrest Gump on the VHS? And you might say, yeah, I watched it. Okay. Did, did you rewind it? No. And I ask you, go rewind it. Are you going to be rewinding that tape for the next two weeks? Are you going to rewind it for two weeks? Those of you here don't even know what a VHS tape is. You push rewind. It happens pretty fast. Those from the old school. Would it take two weeks to rewind a tape? No, you would rewind it within an, a few minutes. If I say to you, get your mind renewed, why are you coming back to me weeks later saying I'm still renewing it? Well, you're doing something wrong. Get it renewed. Now, today, ahora, I'm going to keep this Spanish thing going. And Jesus renew it right now. Get back to the perfect will of God. There's no excuse for us not to be living in the perfect will of God. If we sin, we get right back to it, renewed right now. The default state for the believer is the perfect will of God. The default state for the unbeliever is outside the perfect will of God. Are you born again, yes or no? Then what is the will you're living in today? The perfect will of God. Now, if you want to walk the line to see how carnal you can be and still go to heaven, that's between you and God on judgment day. But I want to see how close I can get to heaven and still be on this earth. I'm not trying to see how much of this earth I can have before I go up to heaven. I want to see how heavenly minded I can be here while still having 10 toes on this ground. You see, they used to say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Jesus was so heavenly minded, he changed the earth for good. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the introduction. Are you all ready for the message? It's coming right after this. I just want you to be ready because as Jesus was, so am I in this world. So are you, the perfect will of God. Let's go and do it. Somebody might say, well, you know what? It doesn't always work out. Okay, we'll get back up and do it again. The Bible says the righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. Some people use that excuse to keep living in sin. That is not what that is talking about. When it talks about the righteous stumble, it is talking about the one with good intentions, intending to do the right thing, but on that path they do the, the wrong thing or something happens as a mistake, but they get back up. It doesn't say the wicked. Everybody get this. It doesn't say the wicked stumble seven times to get back up. It says the righteous does. Is there any righteous person here on the path of holiness that has stumbled a time or two but is still getting back up? Up to fulfill the plan that God has for you. I know what it's like to be righteous and fall. I know what that's like. One time, two time, three times, but get back up. Get back up and keep pursuing holiness as the Bible says. That's my goal. That's my aim. That's my default. That's why I'm here. I didn't come to live like the devil. I wasn't born again to be a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, half holy and unholy. That's not my God. He didn't half whoop the devil. He whooped him all the way. The Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what's happened in my life. Has that happened in your life? That's true salvation. Now look what the Bible says for in Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians two sixteen, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So who's going to get up in God's business and tell him what to do? Nobody. But we have presently the mind of who? The mind of Bill Gates, the mind of Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> the mind of Christ. Right now, you got it. Right now, God is teaching you to think like Him. If you're a born-again Christian, if you're not a born-again Christian, you are tuned in to the AM station of Satan, and that's all you're getting on that radio signal. You need to tune in your spirit to the FM station of Jesus Christ. And the only way you can do that is by being born again.
And when you get born again, that Wi-Fi connection is connected. And it stays connected until you break covenant with the Lord. And that's the real sin that you need to be afraid of or be fearful of is committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin of 1 John as you go on in chapter 5. And I don't believe anybody concerned about living for God commits it accidentally. It is like the sin of Saul in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is replaced with the demonic spirit or like with Judas where he goes to a backslidden state, Satan possesses him and he becomes a reprobate a child of damnation and perdition as he was known as but every other sin John says will be forgiven and God will work with you on as long as you know that you're not supposed to live in sin but as Christ lived without sin having the mind of Christ how many want to live like Christ today aren't you glad I explained that to you by God's grace I'm just your humble servant just serving up some gospel today y'all ready John chapter 4 as Jesus is, so are we. That's what I was doing yesterday. I was, I was acting just like Jesus. Now I know some Word of Faith people have said this, and it's made uh, uh, some of those in the cemetery, I mean seminaries upset. But trust me when I say this, this is theologically sound. We are little Christ. Not Christ in divinity, not Christ in nature, but Christ in action and a representation what, and that's what I say to the cemeterians who say that, is I say to them, what do you think the word Christian actually even means? That's literally what it means, Christ-like. And when someone says, little Christ, that is exactly what you mean, is Christ-like. Now, others have taken that to mean, oh, are you saying we're all messianic figures? God, no. Lord, have mercy. Are we all, uh, am I saying now that we all bear in us the divine nature as Christ bore the divine nature in equality with the Father? Heavens, no. God forbid. But what we are to understand is that we are in his image. If you see my son and my son is in my image, what do you call him? A little Joe. Come on, y'all. Don't get quiet in this church right now. Every one of your cultures here have a little Joe. Every one of your cultures have a little so-and-so. Every culture I've been around, every culture here, from the Asian culture to the African-American to the European, we all use little as a nickname, don't we? We've all used it before. And what do you mean by that when you say, oh, here's little Joe? Do you mean by that 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 little person is me in every single way? Of course not. What you're saying by that is that person, that little person reminds you of me. Or that person reminds you of somebody else when you call them little Joe or little this. When we are here on this earth, we are little Christ. We are the representation of the anointed one. When people look at us, they need to say, say you look just like Jesus. You act just like Jesus. You are a Christ follower. You remind me of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's where the name came from was other people saying it about us. Because most of the time, you don't give yourself a nickname. How many know that's weird if you give yourself a nickname? Well, call me Big Chief. Well, does anybody call you Big Chief? No, I just gave myself that nickname. Call me Big Chief. No, you're weird, man. I'm not calling you Big Chief. It still would be weird if other people called it to you, but I would, I would let it slide if I knew that was something others came up with, but you just came up with that yourself, you know? And, and so the idea is when it comes to the word Christian or Christ-like, which by the way, by the way, little Christ and Christ-like, if you're going to get offended, should bear the same offense. Because literally the word Christ-like is just as offensive if you're trying to find offense with it. Because you're saying that the one who is 100% God in humanity, you're like that one. 
And we're all supposed to go, no, I'm not. I'm a sinner made of flesh, right? So those who want to be technical, even saying Christ-like could be offensive. But how many know all throughout the Bible, you are called to be God-like? You ever heard the word godly? What do you think the L-Y at the end of God means there? That suffix, L-Y, means you're like God. So this idea that we're going to be offended and try to act like the preacher saying something that he's not, please, I'm clarifying here today. When I say we are like Christ or we are little Christ or we are Christ juniors on the earth, I am not equating anything we are doing to the uh, nature of God that is unique. He is the only begotten, the one and only from the Father. No one's saying otherwise. When we say that we are supposed to be like Jesus, as John said, the very words that John said, when we are to be like Jesus in this world, I am not saying I am your savior, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, or trying to be some type of false messianic figure. Can I hear an amen to them? Now, what I believe is a distraction, even by well-intending people in seminaries, as I said before, as I see as, as a distraction, because it gets us off the main point. The main point is, we're supposed to be like Jesus. That's the main point. Now that we've clarified it, are we going to be like Jesus, yes or no? I hope so. Pause right here. Let's go to one more just so you can see it. Not my words, the words of the scriptures. Romans chapter 8. Many of you know this scripture. Many of us are so excited to say we're more than conquerors. How many believe that? How many believe that? Those who God foreknew, he also predestined. You know these scriptures that God knew you, he predestined you. But notice what it says here. When it has that in the whole context, start in verse uh, 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 chapter 8, verse 28. Notice what it says here that most people go right by and don't get this. And we know that all things, come on, somebody say all things. Thank you. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now watch this. This is where it gets lost right here. This is where we skip on to the other things. We don't have time to get into the foreknowledge and the predestination of God. It just means that he encompasses all time. Like we would know the beginning and the end in the middle of a movie. God knew that from the moment of creation, and he never learned anything. Can I hear an amen to God's sovereignty? Okay? But now watch what just happens here. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. To what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his Son. See, you are to be the image of Jesus, that he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So everybody think about this. Some people say, well, God broke the mold with you, and sometimes when people say that to me, they're happy about that, and then they say, I'm glad there's never going to be another Joe like you. There's never going to be another person like you. Joe, you're crazy. God broke the mold when he made you. Have you ever heard anything like that? And sometimes people say it in a teasing way. It's like, they don't want another one like me, okay? But listen, they might say that about Jesus, but that's not true. When Jesus made the mold of humanity, not his deity, but when Jesus came in the flesh in his humanity, that mold was not broken. That mold was then meant to be the mold that every single one of us gets stamped in. Did you guys see that there, yes or no? I'm going to say it again, to be conformed to the image of his son. When you come to Christ, think about yourself being the dough. We're going to talk about cookies now. Can everybody track with me in cookies? We do a little baking example here. When you come to Christ, you are that formless dough. And you're even worse than that, your nasty dough that has hair in it. I live with uh, my wife and four daughters. Hair is in everything I eat now. 
I have hair in my eggs in the morning. Seriously, I have hair in my laundry. I put on clothes and I have hair on the inside of my... I pull out hairs everywhere. Nasty dough without Christ. Hair in the dough. Are you listening? You come to Christ. Christ makes you pure and holy dough, but you're just a lump of dough. You're just a lump of dough. He then takes the image of Christ as that cookie cutter, and he forms you in the image of Jesus. Every part of you that does not belong with Jesus gets cut out. Every attitude gets cut out. Every way of thinking gets cut out. Now, some of you might say, well, mine hasn't got cut out, and that's the problem. You either haven't got saved or don't know what happened when you got saved. You keep like the ginger man reaching over here for this dirty dough and trying to stick it to you. Could you imagine the gingerbread man made in this image as we talked about walking over to the dough we put in the trash, grabbing some of that out going, no, I really want this on me. And Jesus is looking at you going, what are you doing? You see, Christianity molds us, conforms us to the image of Christ. That's how you start day one, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, please. Then I'm going to get to this passage because I want us to live like Jesus. I want people to say, you're a little Jesus, man. You remind me of Jesus. Not Jesus selling in lotes down the road. I'm talking about Jesus Cristo. Can I hear an amen? Well, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. Jesus is over here. No, I'm not talking about that Jesus. I'm talking about the Lord and Savior. I am conformed to his image, not the image of divinity. Hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord thy God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. We believe that. Beginning to end, he's the first and the last. Alpha and Omega, only one God. Somebody say one God. But when he made humanity as his creation, he made humanity to represent divinity. And the human image is made in the image of God. Not becoming God, not blending the substances, but humanity is supposed to represent God on the earth. We are to have his authority. His power, because we bear His image. Now look at what it says. We know in 2, 8 of Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not by work so that anyone can boast, so that no one can boast. Now look at verse 10. For we are in the present, not waiting for heaven, but we are now God's handiwork, created. Notice that. Past tense. When did the creation happen in our lives? When we were born again. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It is here. For we are presently God's handiwork created at the moment we were born again in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now going back to John chapter 4. These are the good works God prepared for us to do. Amen? I said these are the good works God prepared for us to do. I'm not supposed to be intimidated by praying for the sick, but I do. Don't you get intimidated? If I said right now we're going to pray for the sick, and then the person comes up in a wheelchair, how many know now the prayer worker might get a little nervous? But we're not supposed to be nervous. It's Jesus that rose people from the dead. It was Jesus that healed the sick and the leper, and Jesus is here. I can pray and do what Jesus did. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll do what only he can do. People get intimidated then by not seeing everything Jesus saw. Remember we, we talked about this? If a righteous person stumbles, they get back up. Okay, we didn't see the person get out the wheelchair because this person, we prayed for them, right? They didn't get out. What do we do? Stop praying? No, we get back up. We pray again. 
We get it back up and pray again. How many know if God told us to get back up and pray for people in wheelchairs a hundred times and we never saw one of them get healed, how many know that's still obedient to Jesus Christ being like him? Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? Thank you, because I don't want any pressure on us like I'm the faith healer. Are you a faith healer? No, Jesus is always the healer. But I will pray for you by faith. I will speak the word to you by faith. Now, how it works out in the eternal sense of God's plan, I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand how we've prayed for people on the streets, on drugs, and they get healed, and we've seen the godliest of saints die with diseases. I don't understand that. I don't pretend to understand. The Bible says it's impossible, actually, to understand the mind of God. Remember, we talked about that before. To go beyond what he has revealed, it's impossible. It's looking through a, a, um, a, a glass that has been totally blacked out. The little bit that we see, the Bible says, that we're starting to see is that God is good and that it's all going to work out in the end. How many see that enough to believe Jesus is good? I said, how many see that enough to believe Jesus is good? All the rest of it, the glass dimly that I don't understand, it's going to get, it's going to get cleaned out. How many like to clean windows, clean their car? How many like that, that feeling where you can see out of it now? Your windshield is clean, praise God. Okay? Well, when it's all clean, then you're going to be able to say, ah, I get it now. And the way I look at it is all these broken pieces will make a beautiful tapestry of the whole human race that God has planned out from beginning. They're broken, yes, but when you put them together, they make a beautiful image. Look up mosaics. A mosaic of Michael Jackson, I think, is pretty cool out there when I was searching this one time. And you'll see how they take all these little broken pieces of tile or cut-out pieces of the magazine, and they'll make out of these broken pieces, these cut-up pieces, a beautiful mosaic, an image. I believe that's what human history will look like when we get to heaven. We don't understand how these broken pieces fit together. But when God shows us, we will say, God, you are good. Amen? We will say, God, you are good. We will join with those worshiping. But here on this earth, I'm still a person of faith, even if I don't see every one of my prayers come true, because I am commanded to be like Jesus. How many know my son can't drive? He's only three years old. How many know that? But how many know he does this when I drive? That pleases me. Come on, how many know my five-year-old, she can't have children yet, but when she grabs a doll, she acts just like her mama. How many know that pleases my mom, uh, my wife, her mom, and it pleases my mom, her grandma? How many know when we see children acting like us, even if they're not doing the same exact thing as us, but the imitation pleases us and makes us happy? How many are happy when godly things are imitated? How much more so when God watches us? Do you know that Israelites were pointing to an empty chair during Passover saying this time next year we'll be in Jerusalem with Messiah? They were doing that only up until Jesus actually came. Talk about faith. Thousands of years or at least hundreds of years that tradition is going on. And even today for the Jews who don't receive the Messiah, they do that. But we already got the Messiah. Amen. Now they're talking about his second coming. I'll meet you there, my fellow Jew. Shalom Aleichem. Our king is coming. Just get right with them now because Judaism won't save you unless you have Christ, right? But that takes faith. Faith is not believing in that which is silly and ridiculous. I'm not asking you to believe in a married bachelor or a square circle. Jesus is not asking you to believe in natural things, doing things that natural things can't do. He is asking you to believe in his supernatural power and that it is able to intervene into the natural human affairs and to change the world you live in. Can you have a mustard seed of faith to believe that? 
that the same God who spoke into the darkness of void, who spoke, let there be light, and light is still traveling, who spoke to a universe that is still expanding, the same God who spoke that can speak and heal, deliver, and set free. How many have enough faith to believe he can do it? Well, then there's no pressure for you to pray for somebody in a wheelchair. Let's pray for those in the hospital. Sometimes they mock us and they go, why don't you go to the hospital and pray for everybody? We do. We do pray. We have chaplains there right now, Christians that are praying for everybody there. Everybody can't go to the same place and pray every prayer. So we have Christians in all these stations of life. Where are we as Christians at at the time of uh, funerals? We're there with the living to encourage them to keep having faith for their future. We're there at the baby's uh, dedication, believing that the babies will live and have long lives. Christians are here from the, uh, from the uh, you know, from the tomb, I mean from the womb to the tomb. How many believe Christians have it together like that? I'm there the day you're born. I'll be there the day you die by God's grace. Do the same for me. We're not afraid of life, in other words. But all along the way, all along the way, from the moment a baby is born, I'm praying for miracles. All along the way, unto the tomb, and then we send them to heaven, and then we go with the living until we all go to meet Jesus. You see, that's where you just settle it in your heart. You just settle it in your heart. I believe, and that settles it. Amen? There used to be an old bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's the way we need to look at these things. I shouldn't be intimidated to pray for someone in a wheelchair because it's no more my power to heal them than it is a person with the cold. Like, oh, yes, you person with the cold, I'm so ready to pray for you because I feel I got this. Oh, the person in the wheelchair, oh, I'm not ready for you. Let me speak in tongues a little bit more here to get ready. You see people doing that, right? It's okay to pray in the spirit while you're praying for people. That's not really how it works, though. But this is not my tongue. I'm just kind of imitating us as Pentecostals. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to, And we pray. That's not how Jesus was. Whether you had leprosy, whether you were the dead being raised, it was just Jesus talking and things were happening. Come out from that grave, Lazarus. Go back home. Your child is healed. Take up your mat. Jesus didn't have to say, hold on, let me go pray in the tongues for 10 minutes before I pray for you. We need to always be ready to pray. Don't just say you're going to pray on Facebook and not pray. Actually pray. You know what I do? I just stop. If I say I'm praying for you, I stop the scrolling, and I say, Lord, be with them right now. This is their prayer request. I know that you're able. God, make a way for them where there seems to be no way. And then you know what will happen. This is what I'll say in reality because I'm always very optimistic, but I'm an optimistic realist. Anybody else like that here? Some of you are pessimistic realists. It's, it's real. Both of us are real, but the, but the difference is I'm always looking at the cup half what? Half full. And, and the, opt, uh, the pessimist is looking at it what? Half empty. So we're both realists. Some people are just living with their heads in the cloud, and it's not even a heavenly understanding. It's just a make-believe understanding. Okay, I'm not talking about make-believe. I'm talking about us having true faith in the Word of God and living always with optimism. God can fix it. Well, we'll go to the doctor, but I know God can fix it. Okay, we're going to do counseling, but I know God can fix it. That's the way I'm going to do. Okay, we're at the funeral. Listen, I'll even take you there. We're at the funeral. Well, God fixed it. You're in heaven now. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm still giving God, I'm giving God glory at your funeral because God always going to fix it. He's always going to take care of it. Like I said, my sister dying, uh, my aunt rather, dying of bone cancer, me coming into her hospice room. Her punching that button for morphine every five seconds as I'm talking to her because she's in so much pain. But as I walked in, I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm healed. That's how she greeted me. She said, I'm healed and I'm praying for you. She's been looking at myself on Facebook. She said, I'm praying for you. 
Then I said, well, I can pray for you. Can I pray for you? She said, sure. And I prayed for her. And as I've said it a hundred times here before, she kept worshiping and she kept saying she was healed until one day she closed her eyes, opened her eyes and said, I'm healed. And Jesus said, yes, you are. We win in the end. So at the very least, I say I'm healed until the day I die, I get my blessing in the end. But I want to see it here as well. Let God determine how it works out. But I'll never pray in doubt, well, if it's your will. Because he didn't tell us to pray that way. He told us to speak to mountains and they wouldn't move. Not if it's according to your will. No, just move in Jesus' name. Move in Jesus' name. Okay, you're not moving? I'll work that out, but I'm going to keep talking to you like this. That's, that's the tension of a person of faith. And don't let the world mock you for that. That's what your Jesus did. And he batted a thousand, and we may not always get there, but I'm going to please my heavenly father by being just like his son. And the world may see me as that three-year-old honking and doing my steering wheel while daddy's driving. That's okay if I'm mocked and ridiculed by the world because my father's looking at me, and he's saying, I'm proud of that one right there. And Jesus is going up to all the angels, and he's saying, that's my son or daughter right there. They keep speaking faith. Everything's falling apart all around them like Job, but they keep speaking faith. That's the way I'm going to be. And then the devil, he can come into the room and try to make fun of me. And then Jesus is going to say to that devil, devil, your people only serve you when times are good. That's the only reason why they give you their soul so that they can have all the riches of the world. You stop giving it to them, they leave you, they leave you high and dry. But I got children who love me through the good times and the bad times. Devil, who do you got like that? The devil doesn't have followers like that. We serve Jesus Christ because he's worth it. He's worthy in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. Let's follow Jesus now in this story. Verse 43 of chapter 4. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet was, uh, uh, didn't have any honor in his own home country. So this means he's coming from Judea, probably the area of Nazareth or somewhere around there. When he had arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had all seen what he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, so they had also been there because they had seen him. You know, Jesus was doing miracles, and he's now traveling around, and in his hometown, they're not receiving him, but here in Galilee, they're being very nice to him. Let's go here in verse 46. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. If you remember that, there's seven signs of John. The water into wine is the first one. You're going to hear about a second one now. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. So he's there in Galilee, specifically in Cana, and somebody comes and says, My son's sick in Capernaum. Keep all those places in mind if you can. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he came to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Jesus then said, I love you. Thank you for coming out. I appreciate you so much. Is that what Jesus says? I love Jesus. Like sometimes you just got to figure out, like, where is Jesus coming from? Look at verse 48, and let's see what theolo theological ideas you can get in your mind. So the man's begging for Jesus to come heal his son, and here's Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Sounds like Jesus just rebuked him, didn't he? Or rebuked somebody. The royal official said, Sir or Lord, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will what? Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's the message for today. You've heard the introduction. The message now is take Jesus at his word. Somebody say take Jesus at his word. 
Thank you. Verse 51, while he was still on his way, this is the, the soldier here or the royal official, that his boy, he, when he was on his way, the servants came out to meet him with news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father then realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Oh, isn't God good? So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Somebody say, take him at his word. Thank you. We take Jesus at his word. One of the things that we see is that Jesus was always being asked to do miracles. At times, we see Jesus getting frustrated in this asking. At one point, he calls a woman a dog. At another point, he calls them a wicked generation with the child that casts himself into the fire. And here, we don't get much of a description, but we're simply just told that he gives them this rebuke that says their faith is not right. We now are left wondering, who is he talking to? As we look back here at verse 48, would you please have it up there for the folks? Thank you. Who is he rebuking here? Well, first of all, you have to ask, is it a rebuke? I think it is. I don't just think he's saying that to be um, nice and kind, even though I believe he's nice. I do believe it is a strong rebuke. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. How many know you don't have to know the original Greek or Hebrew, but to see a little sass in that response? Jesus was sassy. Do you all know that? Jesus was sassy. So who is he rebuking here? Who is he correcting? I do believe it's a rebuke. We have one of two options. Maybe a little mixture of both, but I think it's probably one or two. First, he's rebuking the actual man. Something about this man begging Jesus to come and not having enough faith that he could actually speak the words as we see in another talk with a centurion where he said to Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house, just speak the word. How many remember that story? So Jesus may be expecting this man to have that kind of faith. So Jesus is rebuking him saying, why are you begging me to come? If you really know who I am, if you really believe in me, you would know I could just speak it right now and say it. But I don't think that's who he's rebuking personally. I think he's rebuking those who sent this man. Now you might say this is a little bit conspiratorial, and it is, and I know it's not in the text. But here's what I think about it, because I don't think it's the man himself. More than likely, because of where this man is coming from and his position, he might have been influenced by the leaders of that day. In other words, where is he a royal official at? He's probably a royal official in Herod's court. Who was one of the people who did not like Jesus and John the Baptist? Herod. So just imagine, and you do have to use your imagination here. Other words, you can just take it as the man being rebuked. I don't think the crowd is helpful here. That's a possible third explanation. Jesus is just looking to the crowd, rebuking everybody, which that to me would be an aimless, pointless rebuke. So I don't think that is a real viable option. It's one of two options. He's rebuking the man, or he's rebuking the people who sent the man or influenced the man. So follow my story here. I'm not the only one to see this. Some commentators try to see the white in the black. We read in black and white. Does everybody get that? They're trying to see the white here. It means it doesn't exist, okay? They're trying to read between the lines, in other words. 
Possibly this man in Herod's palace is a part of conversations with these leaders that are questioning and doubting and wanting to set up Jesus for failure. Possibly this man was told, hey, I heard you had a sick son. Go see Jesus and see if he'll do anything about it. And maybe that man, if we're working this out, because you know when you watch Jesus movies, they take liberty to change a whole bunch of things. But maybe we could fill in the blanks here that this man at one point is himself doubtful and skeptical and says, oh, yeah, I'll go check out this Jesus. I'll go see for myself. But maybe as he begins to follow Jesus, to hear Jesus, he now begins to be convinced that Jesus is actually who he said he is and that these people are looking for a chance for him to fail. And he has now switched teams. And so now he literally broken in his heart, bows before Jesus and starts pleading. And in his mind, he's saying, I don't care about all this setup that's going on. Jesus, would you please come and heal my son? I know you can do this. I've been watching you do these miracles. I'm begging you now. He calls him sir, but in the Greek it's Lord, the same way we confess Jesus as Lord. He says, Lord, please come heal my son. Come right now. And that's why I think Jesus prophetically is rebuking the powers behind this man that sent him. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, there's a king that was possessed by another king or a wizard, and Gandalf had to come and deliver that king from the possession, from the power of that wizard. Is anybody else nerding out to Lord of the Rings? Okay, I think I at least explained it if you've never seen it, okay? There was a wizard who took over a king, and a wizard had to come and set that king free. I know it sounds weird about wizards in church. But these are stories to help us understand good versus evil. These men were Christians. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, just telling stories to help us understand. G.K. Testerson said, we don't tell stories about dragons to be scared of them, but to know that dragons can be defeated. That's why we tell these stories in Jesus' name. And these are now based on our reality. C.S. Lewis said that true myth is the scripture. Everything else is imitation of this, and I don't have time to get into that, but I just wanted to justify bringing up wizards, Okay. Could this have been the rebuke towards those leaders that were behind the shadows setting up this man for failure? And now the man has changed his heart. He doesn't want to be a part of the trick anymore. He doesn't want to be a part of the setup. He sees Jesus for who he is, and he calls out to Jesus. And now Jesus speaking to the powers that be, and this man would understand that Jesus was prophetically seeing all of this, just like Jesus saw the husbands of the woman. At the well, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Why is this important to understand? Because so often, as we preach and teach in this church to believe God for signs and wonders, many of us are waiting for those signs and wonders to come before we believe. And Jesus is teaching us, you believe before you see signs and wonders, and you believe even if you don't see the signs and wonders. Believe is not based on what you have to see in the present. Belief and faith, according to the Scripture, is evidence of itself of that which God says will come to pass. In other words, when you go through the hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, hardly any of them received the actual thing they were believing for. They died never seeing what they believed. Anybody know the story of Abraham? How many nations did Abraham see before he died? In totality, none. In, uh, in the seed form, a few, you know, Ishmael, Isaac. But did he see them become actual nations? And he died in that. 
Did Moses get to live in the promised land as he believed? No, he only got to see it. And some people say it's only because of his sin. True, but would he have lived there long enough to see the kings and the palaces and the times of Solomon and so forth? Absolutely not. But he believed in a place called the promised land. Are you listening to me? We believe even despite what we see. And the world will try to tell you that that's the wrong way to do it. Because when we do science and we do things that are based on the natural order, we only believe what we can see. The only reason why this phone works is because they believed what they could see as transmissions went on with the electrical currents and how they began to do the data in here and the, and the programs. And whatever didn't work and they saw it didn't work, they fixed. Well, why are we different when it comes to faith? Why don't we just practice the same principles of the natural law? It's because the spiritual laws are greater than the natural laws and we can only interact with them one way, and that's through faith. You cannot interact with the, uh, the supernatural laws through unbelief. In other words, you cannot acquire knowledge of God through unbelief. You cannot put God on test. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, please. The way we start in the supernatural is by believing. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. Does everybody see that? Now look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So what we see is not what made us. What we don't see is what made us. Now continue on. Those who come to God must first believe. Please scroll down, please. Those who come to God must believe that he exists. Look at verse uh, 5 there. Moving into verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must do what? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Can you ask God to prove himself to you according to this scripture? No, you cannot. You cannot come to God in unbelief and then ask him to do something. That's not how God works. Even in the times, and some of you might be thinking about fleeces or different times, what did they have as a basis to even ask for a fleece? A belief that God would hear and respond. Unbelievers must cross the line to believe to have any interaction with God. I'm going to say that again. Everyone listen to me, please. Can an unbeliever call upon God and ask him to do something on their behalf to prove that he exists? Yes or no? No, because what does the Bible say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists. Any story from Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, and the books that he has written, now he's wrote, wrote, wrote one on The Case for Heaven, any of these books that talk about atheists or any of these stories always talk about how they crossed the threshold to belief and then began a relationship with seeking that God. Because when you seek him, you shall find. Can I hear an amen? But you cannot ask God to do something in unbelief. It's impossible. Does everybody see it's impossible? It's impossible. I don't know any other word to say other than the biblical word. It is impossible. Now, if that is impossible with the beginning stage of faith, how about the second stage of faith where we are rewarded? Is it possible for any Christian to receive a blessing, a prayer, an answer to prayer without faith? 
No, because those who come to God must believe that he exists. And what is the second part? That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the basis of all answered prayer and every miracle. Going back to John chapter 4 as Daryl comes, please. How do we get to become Jesus in this story? We have to believe without seeing. Did Jesus go to that man's house and see it? But Jesus spoke those words, did he not? He believed that the Father was going to affirm everything he had just said. I'm looking for a church that's willing to speak the words of Jesus and expect the same things that the Father did on his behalf to be done on your behalf as you speak the word. You and I cannot expect to see miracles and transformation of lives without speaking in faith. Well, I'm just going to say it and hope that it comes true, and then when it does come true, then I'll believe it and say, see, I told you so. No, that's not how it works. The only way my aunt was getting up that day from a hospital bed was by saying she is healed until the day she either got up or met Jesus. Are you all listening to me? That's the only way you get it. Okay, so she didn't get it. Womp, womp, poor thing. Nope, she's in heaven now. She got it, and she's looking at the tapestry. Do you think she's disappointed? Do you think there's any sick person who's died in Christ who is now looking at the tapestry of their life going, oh, shucks. Oh, God, I'm really disappointed with how this turned out right here. That's why I don't, don't bring me to funerals unless you want me to preach like this. Because I even say to the children, don't cry because your mom's not going to walk you down the aisle anymore. That's sad to think about today. That is true. But she's rejoicing. She doesn't care about aisles. She doesn't care about bar mitzvahs or whatever else. You had a wedding. That's not what she's on right now. Mom's all on Jesus. She's got the fullness of joy. You and I are still trying to find joy in our weddings, in our children, and all of these things, which are God's blessings. Don't get me wrong. But there is no Iguela up in heaven, Sag, that she didn't come to your wedding. Well, Grandma just wishes she could be here. If she's in heaven, she doesn't. Well, Grandma just wishes she could be No, she doesn't. I'm going to say it again. Well, Grandma just wishes she could be No, she doesn't. If Grandma was alive and had not yet entered the presence of the Lord, she wished she could be here instead of getting her nails done. That's correct. She would rather be here than playing bingo. That's correct. She loved you as a granddaughter or grandson. That's correct. But in heaven, no one is missing earth. No one's up there missing you. Jesus, I just miss him. Could you imagine being around the throne of God talking to Jesus like, Jesus, I just miss him so much. I just, Jesus, send me back. That's not how it is. You and I have a distorted understanding. In heaven, you have understood why there was mothers, why there was fathers, why there was children. And instead of going through all the steps to get happiness through mothers and fathers and sex and accomplishments, you got it right now. Download! And guess what else? You know the one you're worshiping, going to take care of your kids. You know the one you're worshiping, got a whole lot more power than you did as a whaler to make some empanadas at the wedding. You know that this one right here that you're worshiping is going to take care of them. That's why you're not up there having regrets. So long that you understand heaven. What does the Bible say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm praying for that down here. 
I'm praying for us to be so consumed with Jesus down here. They could take away all of our property. We're still worshiping Jesus. They could kill us and put us in prison. We're still worshiping Jesus. We get sickness, disease, whatever. We're still worshiping Jesus because that's all that matters. Now, do I do everything else uh, or just forget everything? No, I still, but that mindset, I do everything else. I go to my job because that does have a sense of importance. I do raise my children. I just don't have a prayer time every day. Speak in tongues instead of teaching them math, right? But I teach my kids, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm satisfied in the king. Now let me teach you some math. Let me teach you some things. Let me go do science. Let me go do uh, retail. Let me go do, you know, investments. Let me uh, go become an inventor. Let me serve the world. But I am seeking first his kingdom. Everything Jesus did was kingdom focused. That's why wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. So we just should speak the words of God. They're speaking the words of their woke garbage. How many want to speak the words of God? Well, this is my pronoun. This is my this. Well, this is mine, child of a king. Well, that's that you want me to call you Zim Zer, him, Zim Zim, all that. You call me God, you called me godly. That's why I want you to call me Joe the Godlike one. Come on. You call me Saint Joe then. You want me to come into your crazy worldview, you come into my godly worldview. Saint Joe, that's how I want it. If we're gonna do it, this is how we're gonna do it in here. You're going to call me that, I'll call you that. If we're going to play it all the you know, fair in the job world, I'll call you Zimzer. You call me St. Joe. Are you listening to me? Do you all believe that? And the world's going to look at us crazy. Could you imagine those few moments right there after Jesus said that? Just go home. Your, your son's healed. Okay. That's how it works. That's good. Let's go on now. Just walking away. You get to see that guy going. Well, that wasn't what I expected. Jesus is obviously not coming to my house. Um, I guess I'll just head home then. And now imagine he gets there and he sees everybody rejoicing. Guess what happened, Poppy? Daddy, got, 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 what happened? You know, you guys see what happened? What's going on? What's going on? All this commotion. He's healed. He's healed. See, at that moment, they could have just called it a mystery. And you'll see doctors say this all the time after we pray. Oh, we don't know. It just seems to be a mystery. He said, hold on. What time did this child get better? They said, oh, it was around 1 o'clock. He said, hallelujah, that was the time that my Jesus said he's healed. Now watch this. This is what's amazing. Those folks who were there, they weren't there when Jesus said it. They had to believe the man on his word. He now had to speak like a little Christ, a Christ Jr., the words of Jesus to his family and say, guess what? This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Let me now tell you. And they who were not there had to believe that's what Jesus had said. On his testimony, they all now get saved. He could have just came back and said, well, it was just a coincidence. No, no, no. He declared the reason why this child got up at 1 o'clock is because Jesus said at 1 o'clock that's what happened. Jesus keeps his word. You go back to John chapter 4. The woman goes back to the people and says, this man has told me everything I have done. They believe her. They follow Jesus. But then as they start following Jesus, they say, not just based on his, uh, the word that you said to her. We believe you now based on the words you've said to us. How many know from that point on, that family began to have a relationship with Jesus? Scroll down, please, so you can see it. On hearing this, all the household believed. 
So he and his whole household believed. God is wanting us to live like him so that people can believe. People will believe as we manifest, as we bring forth. The Bible says the world's waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God, not TikTok manifestations of you getting a raise and the silliness out there. The word manifest comes from the Bible. It is a biblical term. The world is waiting for sons and daughters to manifest the things of God. More people believed in God after Juan spoke the words of Jesus and the manifestation of his miracle came. More people believed in Jesus after that. More people believed in Jesus after Lauren lost her mother to cancer but then overcame cancer. When they watched her go through that, more people believed. But there had to be someone that believed when there was nothing to see. Because if Juan was going to say, I'll only believe that God can take a mess and turn it into my message. I'll only believe it when I see it first. He never would have saw it. He had to believe it when Jesus said, go back to Chicago and reopen Nini's. He had to do it when there was nothing to go on except God's word. Then when he went on God's word and God gave him a beautiful grand opening and people began to come and as more of the wickedness of the city happened, more customers started to come. He began to see the manifestation of what God had said from the very beginning. And now others believe even more. Is that not true, Adolfo? Does your faith increase in God when you saw this man take his step of faith? And then now your family believes in the impossible. When your challenge comes into your life, Adolfo, you'll be able to say, I saw what God did in Juan's life when God stepped out, or when Juan stepped out on God's word. I believe he'll do it for me. And then we start a, a quick handing of the baton, one to another. We, we start a chain reaction of faith, of faith of faith. Did you hear what God did in Juan's life? I'm going to step out in my business. Did you hear what God did in this person's life? Oh, I'm going to step out and do that. Did you hear what God did in Lauren's life? Did you hear what God did in Jason's life? Did you hear what God did in this person's life? And then we begin to surround this world, a surround sound of faith. To the point that when the doctor, come on, walks into the room today with Karina as she's sick carrying a baby, we're keeping her in our prayers. As the doctor walks in, he's praying under his breath, God, I know you're able. I've seen you do this before. I'm a godly doctor. I'm a godlike doctor. And I'm going to do what you called me to do in this situation. Pray and do my work. Doctors will come in expecting miracles. Politicians will pray before they come and deliver their speech about whether or not we go to enter into war. They'll say, I am praying and seeking God. And God, you are with me and you're the God of miracles and you'll give us victory in this circumstance and you'll guide us. And a nation will change. And our, and our world looks different because people are taking Jesus at his word. Let's not hold it in. Let's go out in this world and do what Jesus did. Amen? You all ready? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Can you turn up the keyboard just a little bit for me? Thank you. Father, we glorify you. We honor you right now. Can you glorify the Father right now for sending the Son to be our example? Glorify the Father. Thank the Son and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you now. In the name of Jesus. 
with every head bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, here I am, a person of faith who has already met him and been changed, asking you to have faith in that today asking you to have faith that he did it for me and he'll do it for you. Have faith in Jesus, even if it's only a mustard seed. Would you hear my testimony today and believe? And now open up your heart. And if that's you, start to pray right now to the Father, asking Jesus to save you, confessing him to be Lord, and now confessing your sins and asking for a new life right now. Do you believe my testimony? Do you believe the testimony of those here? Now start to seek him and you will find him. Don't just believe because I said, let that help you overcome your unbelief, but now seek him and you will find him for yourself. Your belief will go from just what I said to what now you experience. A few moments right now will change your world. Father, save every person here that's calling out on your name. You are a good father. Those who are already Christians here today, are you believing God for a miracle? Would you take him at his word and speak that word over your life right now? Whatever miracle you're believing for, God, you're my healer. You're Jehovah Rapha. I speak healing over my life right now. Speak it right now. If you need a miracle, a breakthrough in your finances, God, you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I speak over my situation. Your word that says when we give, it's given back to us. Pressed down, shaken together, shall men pour into our bosom. I believe, I believe. Those who need miracles, those who need salvation, in the next few moments you could come up for prayer. When we dismiss, even now, if you feel led to do so. But as you're praying, I want to ask one last prayer before we go. How many now want to see miracles in this world? Would you start to pray for miracles and speak the word right now over the situations you see? Right now, we speak the word over our schools. Right now, we speak Jesus' word over our nation. A few moments right now, learn to speak his word. Learn to talk like Jesus. Learn to be like Jesus. Right now, have courage to step into your place of employment and to do what Jesus did. Have courage to go to that hospital today and speak the words like Jesus did. Have courage. A few more moments. If you don't know Jesus, come to know Jesus. If you need a miracle, call out for your miracle. And for the rest of us here, come on, ask God to use you to bring miracles.